Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Good to have you listening. I'm joined by a special guest today because we're going to talk about enterprises. We're going to talk about challenges. We're going to talk about management, lots of cool things that we have to deal with. So I'm joined by Clive D'Souza. Clive is the Global Head of Business Development for AWS Service Catalog. Welcome to the podcast, Clive. Happy to be here. Good to have you here. Now, we're going to talk about a, a big topic, uh, which is really about how do really large organizations manage stuff? Now, um, you know, organizations of different sizes have different challenges, and certainly big enterprises have a challenge of managing all their IT infrastructure, their estates, et cetera, and that sort of holds true when they're trying to adopt the cloud as well. So maybe maybe let's start with a problem definition. Um, what what are some of the typical problems that enterprises are facing? So that's a great question. So when you when you look at large enterprises today, namely the ones who are you know wanting to go to the cloud, that the challenges they face is not just you know figuring out the journey to the cloud. It's also how to manage and standardize and control and govern the assets, and then throw in you know the regulatory requirements or the compliance requirements on the enforcement of policies. You know, if it's, for instance, if you're in the healthcare domain. Uh, in the United States or in some parts of the world, the PII data has to have very strict adherence to policies, all right? Uh, similarly, if you're in the financial sector, you will have very well-defined uh, regulatory requirements. And as such, those compliance policies have to be enforced in the cloud environment. So when you look at really large enterprises who have had traditional data center-centric applications which are on-prem, they've always had the notion of a control by you know having physical proximity and control on, on the assets they deploy. But when you go to the cloud, that equation changes, right? So the enterprises always worry about, hey, how do I standardize what I deploy? How do I have a control on you know, the assets I'm deploying and not suddenly deal with the construct of what we call as a cloud adrift, where all of a sudden you have multiple resources being spun up, right? And finally, the governance aspect from it. Now, on the other hand, if you look at it from a developer's perspective, the ones who actually consume the services, right? Uh, for them, it's all about agility. How quickly can I go from the whiteboard to the keyboard? You know, they no longer want to wait, hey, I, I want a LAMP stack on a specific, you know, dual socket server, and it takes the IT three, four, five, or six weeks to procure and get them a, a complete a working environment. They want to be able to do that in minutes. And they don't want to, you know, go through the rigmarole of having a workflow to get approvals. They want a self-service. And it's, it's all about the time to market, right? So those are some of the big challenges we are seeing from enterprises. One is essentially from organization's perspective, you know, wanting to have a control, governance, and standardization. And then from the end consumers or the developers who care more about having an agility with a self-service to go into time to market. For sure. And these are typically the, those real tensions that we feel. You know, as soon as you started to say the words, you know, compliance and governance, I'm sure many of our listeners' eyes rolled back and they thought, oh, you know, everything's going to take a long time. There's architecture review boards and cycles and release trains and, you know, all those words tend to equate to, as you said, slowness. And from people who are trying to d deliver their products into the hands of their customers are like, this is, you know, this is killing the, the agility of, of, doing things in the cloud and doing things in a modern way. However, there is a requirement to be fiscally responsible and compliance, compliant with regulations and laws. So the, the service that you look after, which is, um, which is AWS Service Catalog, is trying to seek to, I guess, give you the best of both worlds, isn't it? It's trying to give you that easy compliance framework but also the speed to market that we want. So how does it seek to achieve that for our customers? And, and you know, 
you, you said a couple of points I want to come back to later, but, you know, jumping into how AWS Service Catalog helps organizations, essentially it's a two-pronged approach, right? From an organization perspective, we help them create and manage catalogs of IT services and software which have been vetted. So think of essentially as your cloud center of excellence uh, or a cloud center of architecture, they will have a, a an IT administrator's office, if you will. Right? We don't want to call them an IT admin in traditional center, but more of a cloud IT admin. And they essentially curate a software stacks. It could be as simple as a simple software, um, you know, army or, 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 or an image or something which would be complete stack. And these essentially could be a combination of a, a DevOps, a uh, business analytics, an operating system, and a database stack. And they, the organizations essentially can set the constraints using AWS Service Catalog as to what version gets deployed within an organization. They can even go granular and say, like, for instance, if you have a group A, a group B, and a group C, or to make it simplest, you know, like a human resources, finance, and engineering, they can set the constraints on your operating stack as to which group gets access to what. And they can actually model it at that level. So this is what the service catalog enables them to do, right? It sets all these constraints on it. From a from a policy enforcement perspective, the one thing which you know developers and, and for, uh, the end consumers always worry about, and you kind of touched it a little bit earlier, is having to deal with the compliance mechanism or having to deal with the policy enforcement, if you will. With service catalog, the IT admins can actually enforce policies using what we call as constraints. And these are our key value pairs. Essentially, they can say, hey, if you are in finance, you're allowed to use version X of the software. You're not allowed to use version X.1 or X.3, but only version X. Uh, and you can have only Y number of instances, where essentially the other constraint service catalog allows within an organization is you can put a dollar-based constraint or a number of instances-based constraint. And, and to kind of go deeper in that is from a policy enforcement Let's say your finance group has a budget and the CIO or the CFO has set a target. You cannot deploy more than $50,000 worth of EC2 instances, right? Let's, as, as an example, with service catalog, mm -hmm. you can set those constraints and say, hey, once you reach that threshold, either it stops the deployment of further assets or you could have a workflow integration and says, hey, we are approaching this threshold. What would you like to do? So these are some of the nuances, uh, you know, of managing enterprise organizations, if you will, using service catalog. And at that level of, of granularity and control means you cannot, you can still offer choice and variety whilst maintaining the consistency. And and it's interesting, you know, as I, I work with customers and, and see how they interact, one of the I think key success points of a, an IT function in an enterprise trying to service its product owners and developers effectively is to listen to what those developers and product owners want from a service catalog perspective rather than kind of say, well, I'm just going to define a few services in my catalog and, and we'll call it good. Um, you actually need to sit down and, and, and understand demand and recognize demand changes over time and then be kind of aggressively building out the elements in that catalog. Otherwise, you, you're sort of not meeting the market, are you? That's right. And, 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 and the beauty of a catalog, and to this point, right, it's, it's not that we uh, as an Amazon service decide what scores in it. It, it's literally, you know, the terminology we use is service catalog has got a portfolio. And think of portfolio as literally a file folder in the cloud, right? And inside the portfolio, you have products, 
which kind of goes back to the point you made earlier, right? You talk to your developers who are in, in our instance are the end customers and they say, hey, I, I want an F5 stack or if I want an RDS as my database or I want, uh, you know, in my front end, I want an analytics engine. The, the cloud center of excellence IT admin can then go and procure those products from the AWS marketplace, right? And then we embellish them with the right set of constraints. And then you put them in the product portfolio. And to your point, it's listening with the customer, deciding what they want, and then based on the organization policies and governance mechanisms, you can put the wrappers around it. And that's what Service Catalog enables. Exactly, exactly. And um, and I guess from an under-the-covers perspective, just for, for the benefit of the listeners, is that this is all using, of course, our old friend CloudFormation underneath. Uh, so when those stacks are built, you can also be visualizing them from a, from a, a, a general uh, unobstructed way. So you can still be doing reports on you know, number of EC2 instances you're running, databases, et cetera. So Service Catalog is providing an additional view and deployment mechanism, but it's leveraging the existing mechanisms that we have. Now, that said, obviously, many of these enterprise customers have still got a significant estate on-premises. How would AWS Service Catalog fit into, you know, using something like BMC Remedy or ServiceNow or some of these the tooling that you're likely to see in, in many large enterprises? That's a great question. In fact, when we look at some of the larger enterprises, right, uh, to your point, they either have an on-prem implementation of ServiceNow, which is one of the leading ITSM vendor, or a BMC remedy. And then we also see flavors of homegrown applications or mid-market uh, application like Sherpa. What Service uh, Catalog has done, and in fact, we came out publicly about this at reInvent, is we are announcing or announced a service catalog to service now integration. What this gives the end customer essentially is an ability to now use the service now front end, but use the back end through service catalog from AWS and procure resources on it. So from an enterprise customer viewpoint, what the enterprise customer gets is the same look and feel of a service now console, but the actual procurement management and provisioning of AWS resources is done through the AWS service catalog, which has gone and integrated with the ServiceNow portal. So end-to-end, from a user experience, you know, they're still, um, uh, they're compatible and they know how to go based on the look and feel and their experiences. So that knowledge base is not lost. Similarly, we are looking at some of the larger other ITSM uh, tools like BMC and, uh, you know, Sherwell and, we encourage those users to watch the space as we you know, expand our integration to other services. For sure, for sure. One, um, and it's, it's interesting when we think about sort of the, the the non-publicly facing stuff that many enterprises do. One of the other things that are, are more recent is that um, that the AWS Service Catalog APIs uh, also support the use of um, of AWS Private Link. So you don't have to have any of those APIs accessibly publicly. They can all be only accessible from within the VPC. So I'm sure that's one that a lot of customers have wanted for a while. That's right. And and you know the the, the private link, if you will, essentially kind of you know allows you to keep two services in your own within your own VPC endpoints. And and that is is something which the customers have very openly adopted. Uh, and Service Catalog, by the way, when we look at a service in and itself, uh, has a feature parity from between the console and the API. So we have an SDK. So every feature which the AWS Service Catalog console can do today can be replicated at parity with the SDK. And, and we chose this path because as we talk to larger and larger enterprises, 
the automation essentially was stemming from the fact that they wanted access to APIs. So service catalog uh, today supports, uh, you know, 100% feature parity uh, with the actual console. And we have enabled that with every release we go forward. That's fantastic because, you know, automation is, is king in this modern world of ours, so that's a really important thing. And what about, um, what about pricing? How is the pricing structure? So from a pricing structure, you know, we, re- we realize the service catalog is, is uh, one of the most fundamental factor of reasons or one of the most fundamental um, artifacts of a cloud journey for large enterprises. To make this easier for them, we have set the price points to be extremely low. So we charge $5 per portfolio with active IAM users assigned to it. If you recall, I had mentioned that service catalog essentially manages what we call portfolios. And within portfolios, you have products. And once you assign an active user, which we defined as an active IAM user, that's when we charge $5 per month on that portfolio, regardless of number of users associated with that portfolio or regardless of number of products in it. So it's a fairly inexpensive service. For sure. And if you think about what many of these organizations spend on IT just to to administer, manage and, and maintain compliance, this really helps do that very, very easily. And I guess we, we haven't sort of dived into too much detail, but it's, it's worth touching on. So in terms of if I, I create a catalog and I've got a set of, of versions out there, can I uh, eliminate Versions, maybe a, a version of, uh, of software has come out that I know is, um, is compromised, I need to uplift it, et cetera. How does Service Catalog um, help us with that? Right. And in fact, we actually see a large number of enterprises actually go down that route. And there's more than one way through, you know, handle any scenario. But one of the use cases where we are seeing is large enterprises coming out with new versions or they just want to update a particular or refresh a particular stack based on InfoSec requirements or policy requirements, right? So... Here is one way to do it. The use case they generally tend to follow is called a hub and spoke. The hub essentially is where all the products are kept. And then the cloud center of uh, excellence IT administrator essentially will you know, target a specific portfolio. And then under the hood, they'll swap the products out. Right. So next time when the users are accessing that portfolio, when they spin up, they essentially are spinning up the newer or the, or the updated version of that product. Right. Similarly, when they want to go and proliferate, they want to push across the entire organization a new image or a new version with the centralized hub and spoke model, the IT administrators can ensure that, hey, next time a new version is spun up for that particular portfolio, you know, you have the new new revs of that software going up. I must point out what we don't do is we don't pull down instances. So for instance, a version 1.x is up and running and a 1.x.1 has come out, then the service catalog will not pull down that particular instance. We always mm-hmm. give the users mm-hmm. the uh, you know, ability to say, hey, if you want to pull it down, you can. But the next time you launch from that portfolio, it will not be the same version. It will be the new updated, new policy enforced version, right? So that's how we do it. That's how we control what gets deployed inside an uh, enterprise organization. And that's a nice combination of, of sort of working into existing enterprise change management processes because like you say you're not going to want to have an application suddenly disappear mm-hmm. and then reappear uh there's going to be some sort of change management process a ticket so, some form of notification of the users that hey you know on you know, such and such a time this system is going to become unavailable for a brief period of time whilst it gets updated but the service catalog means that that whole process is is basically automated from from the as soon as they choose to restart the application correct 
That makes it very nice, very nice. And so in, in your experience, what, what do you see as important things for customers to think about when they're taking advantage of something like AWS Service Catalog to manage their environment? What's, what's, a, what's a, a tip you'd like to share? You know, one of the tips which we are hearing Simon, a lot from enterprise customers, it's, you know, in addition to the governance, in addition to the, uh, uh, the policy enforcement, it's also about having an audit trail. Um, and especially in the case of financials or healthcare or certain department, uh, government departments, they want to know who accessed what and deployed, you know, what product ran, uh, just to have the audit mechanism behind it. And when we look at all these regulatory requirements, what service catalog essentially enables in addition to, you know, the, the governance and the enforcement of constraints policies is we also enable something called tagging. And think of tags essentially as key value pairs, right? Every product which goes in there, they can have um, N number of tags, and generally it can, tends to go about 50 tags per product. And these are key value pairs. They could be cost center equals XYZ, uh, software version equals 1.x, uh, you know, uh, chargeback center equals some alpha and wave combination. And one of the tips which we have seen the enterprises overtly embrace is hey, we can now tag our resources. And then using a Lambda function or using one of the internal algorithms, then they can either, you know, write a function to essentially go and scrape the entire topology of the enterprise stack and figure out what got deployed, when and where to have a better understanding from a workflow process, right? It kind of gives you an audit trail. And it also lets them proactively build a model out, right? As the cloud deployment gets more mature in every organization, what we are seeing is the maturity level in terms of being able to proactively predict the costs improves as they start auditing their own stack, right? So we're seeing these steps coming where people say, hey, we can now go to the cloud and we can reasonably well, you know, predict what we will deploy or how, how much uh, uh, of a burn rate we'll have. So these are some of the tips we are seeing um, uh, service catalog users uh, adopt. The other thing which we... It's, it's, go ahead. I was going to say, it's really interesting that creating that feedback loop um, becomes important because then, you know, you're, you're creating services, you're seeing the consumption, you're seeing where maybe boundaries are being hit, and then you can reassess the policies you're using. Um, so, you know, more information is typically better for most people's decision making. Yeah. And, and the other tip which we are seeing, Simon, is lately we are seeing larger and larger organizations. Generally, they follow a two to three step process to go to the cloud, right? First is they'll do something called an application discovery or application mapping. This is more of an activity where they'll actually go and map all the applications they have, either on-prem or on their own hosted environment. And they'll do a lift and shift, and they'll go as is and replicate the entire stack on the cloud. As they mature, what we have seen is organizations will say like, hey, I have these applications, which I was running on-prem, but when I go to the cloud, that model doesn't necessarily scale for me. And we are now seeing organizations come to us and say, hey, can I go and procure something from AWS Marketplace and then copy it into the service catalog and then manage it from there? So the whole procurement uh, cycle, if you will, and the procurement process, we are seeing a massive inflection happening out there. And it's a, it's a pretty big disruption, if you, if, you, uh, if you ask me. Because if you go and talk mm-hmm. to any IT uh, you know, procurement team today, or for that matter, even an end software developer or IT consumer, them having to go through the legalities of procurement for software is still today fairly tedious. So with this construct where consumers can or, or an enterprise can go and procure or buy a product from AWS Marketplace, 
and AWS Service Catalog can ingest it essentially through a copy mechanism, and then it goes down the process of being able to manage it, is also fundamentally disrupting the IT procurement model. Mm, so definitely making it making it quicker, faster, but still have that that governance control and reliability that people are looking for. So it's kind of a, a best of both worlds situation. Correct. Really good, really good. Clive, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, and sharing some insight into AWS Service Catalog. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback, AWS Podcast at Amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.